0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or whenever you are joining me and tuning in to hear about one of the greatest hobbies in the world. I am your host, Zachary Anderson, and this is Your Turn, the podcast where I, a nerd, talk about board games, game mechanics, and other nerdy culture things. For all of my returning listeners, welcome back, and to those of you tuning in for the first time, welcome... And please enjoy the episode. In this episode, I will be returning to the world of board games. We will be starting with a quick look at how the number of players can alter how a game is played as well as the overall experience provided by games that play different number of people. Then, we will jump into two games, a two-player head-to-head battle of wits and strategy in a food-driven challenge to build the best food court. So once again, thank you for joining me, and let's get to the games. The piece of board game jargon I'd like to discuss is player count. Now, this one kind of speaks for itself, as it is simply the number of people you are playing a game with, or the ideal number to be played with. When playing with only a single other person, games can be tense and stressful as you are placed into a true battle of wits. Within most two-player games, moves and options are so important and vital that a moment of hesitation or a slight misplay can lead to one's downfall. Even though there is only one other person to pay attention to or take into consideration, The moments of pure thrill can be immense. In Onitama, an abstract game, both players will use the same 5 moves and the card you use to defeat your foe was literally given to you by your opponent, but at the same time you may be handing your enemy the single card they will use to vanquish you. Add in a third player and a balancing act is thrown upon the table. You must now make sure you are not targeting one player relentlessly while allowing the other to grow exponentially. You may find that you are having to not only devote time and energy to build your own forces or making the right plays on the board, but should two players become hell-bent on ending one another, a third can slip past their radar and sneak to victory. Luckily, when playing King of Tokyo, players are attacked as a group, and so punches are given out equally. But you still must keep a wary eye on those you are playing with, as one player may be foregoing the way of the warrior and instead slowly accrue points to steal the coward's victory by reaching 20 points. So you've mastered three players. Why not add one or two more? Now you are surrounded, an enemy or army at every gate, prepared to break down your defenses and overrun your pacifistic peasants and priests. Playing with four or five people is similar to playing with three, but there's just another person to be aware of and be prepared for anything to happen. In games of four or five people, turns can be long and drawn out. There can be quite a bit of downtime. Some games, such as Space Base, keeps players engaged by having everyone benefit on every turn. Yet other games, like Ascension, can have the opposite effect. Players can have the perfect plan on their turn, only to have it ruined three times over as each subsequent player buys the cards they wanted, or kill the monsters they were hoping to destroy. Lastly, we move onward to games of six or more. Primarily, these games are party games or large group activities, but occasionally you will have something like Game of Thrones the board game, or Catan, in which you are trying to work out some string of strategy only for your turn to come around and you might as well draw your actions blindly from a hat, because the sheer chaos is running rampant. You can do your best to fight back against the torrent of obstruction, clawing tooth and nail to obtain your goal, or you can be like my friend Phil, who tries things just for fun and sees what kind of product is created from the insanity. Playing games with six or more people can lead to enormous amounts of laughter and brevity, but everyone involved must know what they are going into and be prepared for what is ahead. For my suggestions on this episode, I want to do something slightly different and recommend a single game for each different level of play. For a strong head-to-head clash and fight for supremacy, I recommend you grab a single friend and give Dice Throne a try. Watch out, though. The dice will seek revenge. If you have two friends who want to traverse space and mostly leave each other alone, only for one of them to turn around and hunt you down, you should pick up Zaya, Legends of the Drift System. At four players, why not go into the realm of cooperation and give Pandemic a try? As you and your allies seek to cure the world of horrendous diseases. And finally, if you have a large group of people who want to split their sides while trying to pantomime random people and ideas from all of history, you cannot go wrong when picking up monikers. The first game I'd like to discuss is Jaipur. This game was published by Space Cowboy, Designed by Sebastian Pouchin, with art by Vincent Dutre and Alexandre Roche. It was published in 2019 and plays two players in about 30 minutes. A quick how to play. To set up, place three camel cards in a line between the players. Shuffle the remaining cards and deal five to each person. Place the rest of the cards between the players and turn over the top two and add to the row of camels. Each player will now look at their dealt hand and remove any camel cards, creating a pile in front of them which will be called their herd. Sort the tokens by good types and place them in piles of descending order. Make 3 piles of the bonus tokens as noted by the number of goods, 3, 4, or 5, shown on their top. And finally, place the seals of excellence in the camel token off to the side you are now ready to play. On their turn, a player will do one of two things. Take goods or sell goods. When taking goods, players have three options. Take a single good from the market line, refilling from the draw deck. Taking several goods, but replacing them with cards from their hand, from their herd of camels, or a combination of both. Or, players can take all of the camels currently in the market, and add them to their herd, and then refill any vacant spaces with cards from the draw pile. The other option a player has is selling items. In order to do this, the player will first select a good type to sell, and place as many of that type of good from their hand into the face-up discard pile. The player then takes a number of tokens equal to the number of cards sold, from the corresponding goods token pile. If three or more goods are sold, they also receive a bonus token. A round ends when either three types of good tokens are depleted, or there are no more cards in the draw pile. Add up points scored by each token, and the player with the highest total wins the round, and takes a seal of excellence. Players now return their tokens, set up the game for a new round, And play continues. The first player to win two Seals of Excellence wins. Jaipur boils down to either picking up cards or turning in cards. And yet, this game can create immense stress as you weigh your options. Do you hold out for the rare goods, which are gold, silver, and diamonds, and these will score you a great number of points? Or do you take the more common goods, which are cloth, leather, and spices, and be able to turn in a large number of them and take bonus tokens, which gets you even more points. Turns can be played very quickly in this game, but the decisions made with each choice can prove to be the wrong one for any given situation. Jaipur is relatively new to my collection, and I've only played it with my significant other, but the tension is real as you sit there, and turn over every idea you may have multiple times before you ever choose what to do. And this is the crux of the game. Simple choices but with complex outcomes. Turn after turn I have found myself sitting there with four leather cards knowing there are more of that good just waiting to come to the table. But there's also a gold card and I know Lisa has been collecting those. So do I take the leather and help me gain the greatest bonus possible? Or do I take the gold so that she can't get it and trounce me for the ninth game in a row? When it came to teaching and learning this game, I was worried about how complex it may be and how much nuance a card game could create as I have played my fair share of brain melting card games. I'm looking at you, Race for the Galaxy. but. I was pleasantly surprised to find the rulebook was less than five pages, and most of the rules were accompanied by a helpful picture. In terms of how I learn, I am definitely a visual learner. I need to see examples in order to grasp what I am supposed to do. And having these step-by-step pictures made learning Jaipur exponentially easier. We were quickly able to set up and get rounds going. But, as I have previously mentioned, It was upon playing that the twists and tricks began to show their faces, and revenge and hatred bared its gnarled teeth. In most games in which cards are drafted, there comes a time where a player must decide whether to take the card that will be best for them, allowing them access to a wealth of points, or to take a card they know their opponent may desire. This is called hate drafting. Jaipur may not necessarily be a card drafting game, but after a handful of plays with my significant other, I can say with both disdain and glee that there is this hurtful act. The goods that give the most points have fewer cards and tokens diamonds, jewels, silver, so forth, and therefore. As they are revealed on the table, a person going for as high a score as possible would think to grab the card for themselves, hoping that they can snag one or two more of the same color in order to gain the advantage. I can speak from personal experience, that when I see my girlfriend grab one of these rare cards, my mind immediately shoots to, she already has at least one of that color, and I have to make sure she does not get any more. Because then she will be able to take all the tokens and leave me with nothing, and then I'll lose, and she will laugh, and Board Game Geek will cancel my account because I'm no longer the best gamer in the world. Okay, fine, you got me. I got a bit dramatic. But I do assume that she has already started collecting the rare colors. So as new cards are flipped, I see even more red, yellow, or blue. My mind is set to snatching them. Now, you may be thinking, alright Zach, if you are grabbing the card, then you will be able to turn it in for points. That's a win for you. But alas, my dear listener, because as I am having to make sure my opponent does not get any of the three different colors, they begin to clog my hand, making it impossible to gain the cards I actually want. You are only allowed to hold seven cards. And in order to turn in the rare cards for points, you must sell two or more. So if I'm already holding five cards and it's like a gold card, so Lisa can't have it, only for another gold card to be available on my turn, I must decide. Do I grab the second gold or do I take the purple because I'm already holding four of them and I really want that five card bonus? Some people have no problem with hate drafting. But when I hate draft, I end up with two people mad at me. Lisa, for me taking the cards she wanted, and myself, for sticking myself with the cards I don't need. Hate drafting is not the only way to achieve sweet, sweet revenge in this game, as each player has access to a herd of camels. Or at least, the herd that they've been collecting. Camels are strange. Well... Okay, not the actual animals, but the cards. It seems camels do not like to be left alone by themselves. And so when you take camels from the market, you cannot ever take just one. Instead, you have to take all of them, which could be one, two, or even five. Beware, because as you take camels, this is bringing forth new cards for your opponent to have the first choice of and this has bitten me in the rear more times than I can count, as my opponent is granted the ability to take all the precious rare cards she's been waiting for. Yet, there is one way camels can come in handy and strike hatred in your opponent's eyes. When you exchange goods in the marketplace, meaning you take more than one card and replace it with cards from your hands, you can actually replace your choices with camels you have previously gathered, thereby giving your opponent fewer choices on their turn. One of my favorite examples of this was during one play I had already gathered a multitude of camels, and sitting on the board were two more camels and three cards that I wanted, all green. And so instead of taking just one of those lovely spice cards, I took all three, and laid down three of my lovely camels. Lisa was forced to either sell cards or take all the camels, showing me more choices as a consequence, and she was actually pretty angry. At the end of the round, the player with the most camels also gains 5 points. So take some camels, force your opponent into a not so fun situation, and grab those sweet sweet bonus points while you can. Getting a pair of goods is rather easy except the rare goods, but again, that is because of hate drafting. Getting a trio of cards can be a bit trickier. Four of a kind is tougher, unless you're going for leather, but trying for five of the same good is a fantastic challenge and not to be taken lightly. I know that I am newer to the game, having only played about a dozen times at this point, but I've only seen a five-card bonus token taken a small handful of times. And because of this, I've begun to ask myself how long do you hold out for that fifth card before you call chicken and turn in what you have gathered for at least a four-card bonus token. Normally, this is where I give you sweet tips and tricks about how to pull off one of these epic bonus moves, but I honestly can't do it for this one. There is no secret timing or perfect finesse flourish to... Watch for as you prepare to steal 5 cards, as each round may be slightly different since you learn from each play. Being able to only have 7 cards and trying to go for a 4-5 to card combo causes a lot of stress. You have to take into account that these cards are taking up half of your hand, and you got to weigh your options. Is going for a random number of bonus points really worth it? I am a bit of a chicken, so I tend to sell my cards when I either have a 3 of a kind or a pair, which still earns me points, but rarely nets me a victory. In my last game, I decided to always go for 4 or 5 card combos, and you want to know how many I pulled off? 1. I was forced to sell cards in lower combos just to try and keep pace with my opponent, and though I got close many times, The last card I needed was always snatched from my grasp as soon as it hit the table. There are some two-player games that take a while to play. I'm looking at you Star Wars Rebellion and Fog of Love, but let's face it, sometimes you do not have hours to spend on a game, and instead you want to sit down with one other person and play quick games, and that is what Jaipur provides. Turns and rounds in this game are quick. Grab cards, sell cards, regret what you did, get over it because it is your turn again, worship camels, and then hey look, the game's over. Before you get to be sad about losing or ecstatic about winning, you get to set up again and play another round or play a whole nother game. Now, not everyone is going to enjoy a nearly lightning fast card game, but if you are looking for a game to play with someone who might not be wanting to jump into the deep end of gaming, I would say give Jaipur a shot. If they hate the game, it will be over in a flash. And if they like it, you can easily reshuffle, place out the tokens, and go for round two. The second game I'd like to discuss is Foodies. This game is published by Simon Global Limited, designed by Ken Grohl and Marco Portugal. With art done by Hannah Cardosa and Seed Galabi. It was published in 2015, plays between two and five players in about 20 to 30 minutes. A quick how to play. To set up, place the market board in the center of the playing area and give each player a food court dashboard and three player markers of a single color. Each player will need to place a dollar token on each of their blank spaces of their dashboard and they will also need to take 3 dollar tokens into their reserve. Shuffle the 10 culture cards and randomly select 5 to play with for the game. Take the 10 food stall cards from the 5 selected cultures and shuffle these 50 cards together. Draw the first 5 cards and place them face up on the market board. Choose two of the specialty chefs and place them next to the chef for higher space on the market board. Finally, give the ten-sided die to the player who most recently ate at an international restaurant as they are the first player. On their turn, a player will go through three phases. Phase one, the player will roll the die and receive the reward from a corresponding location on their food court board. If a ten is rolled, the player gets to choose what space is activated. All other players also gain a reward from the corresponding space on their board. Rewards can be dollars to spend or victory points in the form of stars. Phase 2, the active player will now choose a single new stall from the market board to add to their food court covering the pre-printed reward or replacing a previously bought card. This is done by paying money to the supply for the indicated price of the food stall. These new stalls will give other rewards and abilities to activate when they are triggered. Phase 3 If players meet the requirements of one of the available specialty chefs, they can place one of their player markers on the chef and gain the reward, which is 3 victory points. Each chef can only be triggered once per game by each player. The die is now passed to the player to the left. When a player has reached the victory point threshold, 20 points for a 2-3 player game, or 30 for a 4-5 player game, the game continues until the round is over, so each player can get an equal number of turns. After the last player has finished their turn, the game ends and the player with the most points wins and is declared the Food Court King and the Ruler of the Foodies. Come one, come all, to the newest and greatest food court this side of the Mall of America. We have cuisines from all over the world. We have borscht. We have ramen. You like gardens? We've got escargot. You like spice? We have delicious pad thai. Prefer something low-key and easy to eat with one hand? We have cheeseburgers and apple pie. As previously mentioned, there are ten different nations that can be chosen from for each game. These include France, Russia, Italy, China, Japan, Germany, Thailand, Brazil, Mexico, and the United States of America. Within each culture, there are a number of different dishes, each with their own illustrations, which I can only assume as culturally accurate. But beyond this use of unique pictures, each nation has its own special abilities. I am not going to go through all of the abilities, but I'd like to highlight a few of them. First we have Japan, which gives a bonus for stars or cash equal to the number of adjacent Japanese stalls. Next, we have the United States, which will give you a number of stars or coins as long as you have the most American stalls out of all players. Finally, we have Russia. Unlike the other countries, Russia only triggers a single time. When you buy a Russian stall, You will place a certain number of stars and or coins on said stall and the next time that it is triggered you will gain those stars as victory points or the coins to your reserve sadly the card does not refill so you will have to purchase a new card to replace this now useless stall in your food court sorry russia though not necessarily an engine building game Foodies does have some characteristics in common with other engine building games, primarily when it comes to the stars you can gain as numbers are triggered. Each stall card has a number of half stars on each of its sides, and as you build out your food court board, you will start to form complete stars. Now, initially, these completed stars will not do anything, but each time you trigger one of your food stalls, you will gain bonus points equal to the number of full stars touching that stall. This can quickly lead to a player gaining a large number of points in rather quick succession. For example, I was playing foodies with my father, and without my knowledge, he was able to situate his food court in a fashion so that each time he triggered his middle stall, number 5, he would not only gain points from the stall itself, which was Japanese, but each side of that stall had a completed star, thereby giving him three points for the card, plus another four in bonus points. In a blink of an eye, my dad's score rocketed past mine, and before I could catch my breath, he had ended the game, and I was left holding my empty platter, begging for more points. I have talked stalls and I've talked stars that I end up spending way too long trying to achieve. There is one other way to gain points in foodies, and this is through the specialty chefs. There is one chef that is used in each game, and he will grant you a single victory point for every four coins you are willing to give him. And when you're like me, raking in the dough, this can be a great opportunity. And I mean I'm raking in the dough in the game. All other chefs want some combination of cards or food court setup, such as three different pairs of stalls, or one of every different kind of nationality. Each of these chefs can only be triggered once by each player in the game, but they grant a player three points, and at times this can prove to be the final boost you need in order to leave the game victorious. Since stalls can always be replaced, I would highly recommend you utilize the chefs available and do not skip on those six points. In a previous episode, I talked about a game called Space Base, and I mentioned how everyone had the chance to gain points or credits on everyone else's turn, and this is also true in Foodies. Whether it is your turn or not, you will always trigger what is on your board and this helps reduce downtime and keeps players engaged at all times. It took me a little while to explain this game to my parents, as they were more used to being able to sit back and relax when it wasn't their turn, but I found they actually enjoyed the game even more as they felt more involved. I do want to mention that though this is a great thing for player interest, it is possible for the game to end on your turn without you winning. Because you can trigger a stall that gave you coins and a star or two, only took a look over and see your mother just collect six more stars and jump past the point threshold and hey look, the game's over. Yay, good job mom. I do have one major issue with this game. There are ten nations, you use five per game. I already mentioned this. This allows for a pretty good variety to be used. This game is perfect for expansions. There are so many other cultures that they could have added. So many nations to visit and experience their food. I'm missing foods from Africa or Western Asia. What about food from Canada or the Philippines? I'm aware this game did not fly off the shelves when it was first released. And this may have contributed to it not getting expansions or even add on packs. But I think it's a real shame. Online, there's a print and play expansion for Christmas meals. And I can only hope that perhaps one day someone will create more sets of cards to be used in this game, whether it's holiday themed or other nations. To be honest, I have been tempted to do so, and I'm not a game designer. But my love for this game just might end up encouraging me to make cards of my own. If you're looking for a nice family weight game with a little bit of strategic play and spatial awareness, I would highly recommend you check out Foodies. One word of advice though, do not play this game when you're hungry. It will not end well. So here we are. Another end to another episode. Board games are made to be played with all different kinds and numbers of people. Whether you enjoy a solo game where you set your mind against a puzzle set before you, or tackle pure war and chaos with a group of five of your friends. Games help us make connections and grow our relationships with those around us, while fighting for the perfect restaurant to attract some foodies or racing to see who can collect the best goods and sell them at the marketplace in Jaipur. Stories and friendships are built around games, so should you ever see me playing a game, please come, say hello, and let's get to some gaming. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to like this episode and listen to others that I've posted. Share the joy of your turn with friends and family. You can also check out pictures and updates I post over on my Instagram at z.a._underscore_your_turn. your turn. Feel free to drop me a line or a comment and let me know what games you have been playing and are interested in hearing about. It has been a pleasure introducing these wonderful games to you and I will be back in a few weeks with another episode. As always, I've been your host, Zachary Anderson, and this has been your turn. And now it is your turn to play some games and have some fun. Be safe. Have a good one, y'all.